This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. I know one of the things you talk about is the need to have a strategy to find your next career move. Could you talk about that and you know what would something like that look like? Most people can find a J-O-B and I really want them to be able to find a career fit um, and having a strategy and especially ones that are consistent and repeatable the way that I, I mean, I'm just going to say like that, that that's what my program is. It's a consistent and repeatable program and strategy that works regardless of your level, regardless of your title. And so it enables you to go through each and every week feeling a sense of purpose, even if you don't necessarily feel purposeful in the next role yet. You feel a sense of pride, a sense of dignity, and building confidence. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Lauren Greif. You are the founder and president of Portfolio Rocket and help senior creatives and marketers find 80 to 85% of the opportunities not posted online. You are a Forbes contributor and were listed on the top 75 LinkedIn voices for job seekers. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Roger. I am so excited to be on your show um, and just adore what you're doing and can't wait to dive in. Oh, the feeling is mutual. And I am so excited to talk to you today because you just finished David Breyer's masterclass. You're one of the recent graduates. That is part of our American Real Mastery Academy. And you were one of the shining stars in that group. So I just want to say first, congratulations on making it through. But <laughs> I want to ask you, tell us what that program was like. And, um, you know, from the day you joined it to the day you graduated, give us a little insight about the experience. Sure. So what it was like is um, a complete and utter cold shower wake up call. You know, one of those that says, wow, you know, I should do this more often. You know, I should really embrace all of the shock value and all of the new insights that I'm learning, like a cold shower where you're just completely awake and alert. And it was brilliant just from the very beginning. Oftentimes I walk into these settings and, you know, it seems like, oh, these people are so different and they're coming from all walks of life. And, you know, how is this going to gel? Well, that happened very quickly. Uh, to much um, credit to both you and David for providing the glue and in really enforcing a lot of collaboration, group discussion, sharing with one another, teaching each other, poking holes at, at, at ideas that may not have a lot of legs. So I've learned a ton. As I mentioned to David, I this is not like an area that is foreign to me. I'm not an accountant. And so, you know, here I am taking a branding class. I thought I knew a lot about branding after studying it for more than 30 solid years with some of the biggest brands in the world. But doing that for myself and for my own brand and my own company is a completely different thing. And it's one of those 
challenges that appears on the surface to be quite easy and seamless. And then when you start digging and digging and digging, it's a lot harder than it looks. And so I, I really appreciate the fact that it was rigorous in what you said, I did make it through. Um, so I, I, can't say, I can't say it was easy, but I can say it was all worth it. What was the biggest surprise, Lauren, uh, that came up or that maybe an aha moment for you as you were going through the nine weeks? I think the biggest aha for me is that clients in my case or in other people's customers i call them clients because i have a responsibility to them so they are under my under my responsibility not just as a transaction are most surprised and delighted about what it is that they can build as far as a relationship after their term with you is is complete so David talks about it as, you know, most entrepreneurs, businesses really just focus in on the pre-sale, the, the during sale, but they forget about the post-sale. And I can tell you that I've spent a lot of time, especially this holiday season, coming up with what am I going to do to surprise and delight my clients, my past clients? How am I going to not only, you know, send them something fun and, and memorable, but also for them to experience the the brand on a regular basis so um, i don't want to give away the gift per se but it it really has a perfect tie-in to a lot of what i talk about in the program that i teach which is that your feet need to be a lot smarter than your head and you need to take the action even when your head is telling you you know that's crazy or i don't want to Right. No, and um, I'm so glad you talked about that because one of the things David, I think, does exceptionally well is exactly one of his taglines, which is rising above the noise. So he helps people see beyond all of this noise that, you know, intersects with us day in and day out, that sometimes it's hard to see past that. And he he's really, really good at helping you, you know, weed through all that. And you and David and I had a chance to do a live video recently, which was a great experience for me to be on that with you and talk about some of the things, you know, going into 2021. So it was great for me to hear you taking some of the learnings uh, from David and your past experience and what you're bringing uh, to life and to your business and to your clients through next year, which uh, brings me to my kind of my first question here is take us back 12 months from now. Where, where were you in your uh, um, work life and what was happening? I know you're getting ready to start something new, but take us back 12 months. Sure. Um, it's, it's always good to reflect back and not regret the past. And so I, I am reflecting, not regretting, because it was one of the, the best kind of uh, bottoms that I have ever hit. I realized at this point last year that I was miserable. I was in corporate America. I, I was more or less not only pretending, I was, I was playing a role. I was in a very corporate environment with um, respectfully a lot, of, a, a lot of older white dudes. And I, I really, like I had tried to fit myself into the corporate world so many times, sometimes very successfully and sometimes like failure beyond belief. And I just hit 
a breaking point uh, and, and like that imaginary line. I, I think that to some degree, everybody has those, you know, CTJ come to Jesus moments um, where you're just like, I can't, not one more day. And so I resigned. Um, I resigned from this job that seemed on the surface to be all that in a bag of chips with a very healthy salary and a lot of job security. And I, it was December 5th. I remember exactly what was going on. And I just said, no can do. I'm done. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, it really was like clueless. And my uh, fiance and I at the time were heading to Cuba for a Christmas break. And I was a mess. I mean, I was a complete mess. And, you know, it filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with self-doubt, self-loathing, like the whole list, right? Like, what am I going to do? I'm a middle-aged woman. And like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, I know I have some talent someplace, but I just don't know how to apply it or align it or what am I going to do? And I literally um, pulled a book off of a shelf that had been sitting on my shelf for, I don't know, maybe years. And I pulled it off and it was, it was like a miracle. I know that sounds very cheesy and over the top, but it was, um, I actually keep it very close by. It's called, um, You Are a Badass. I pulled this off my shelf and um, it's written by a woman named Jen Sincero. A lot of, a lot of people know her. It's an amazing bestseller, um, but something in there gave me the kick in the butt that I so desperately needed um, and the permission along with that to say, you know, just, just shut up and just do something, do this. If it fails, it fails, but just do it. And I decided it wasn't going to fail. That's it. It's, I'm going to figure this out. And um, I've kind of had that attitude in a lot of other areas of my life. And so that's, that's what happened <laughs> about 12 months ago. I know that's a very long winded way of saying I made a change. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I give you a lot of credit because it's hard for a lot of people to do, but you said something in there that I think is really crucial that a lot of people struggle with. And I'd like to talk a little bit deeper about it. And that is you said uh, you were playing a role. A lot of us over the course of our lives, or if we've been in business for a while, have played the role, have worn the mask, have put on this facade that, um, and, and, I, and I do hear this a lot from women, you know, as well when I, when I do these interviews is that they want to um, be on par, uh, which they are, uh, but they want to appear to be on par with everyone in the room. So we do, you know, kind of put on this facade or play the role. If you could give a piece of advice to people that are listening, that are in the place you were, um, you know, just a short year ago and, and, and before that, what advice would you, would you give on how to get out of that whole feeling of needing to play the role? You know, this is, um, the, the, the short answer is get rigorously honest. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're fooling yourself, faking yourself, it's only going to come out. There, there's no hiding it. People will, people will know right away whether you're, you're really either a good fit for corporate or whether you're, you know, in it for the right motives, whether it's your own business. So you got to get, you got to get rigorously honest, which is the short answer. Like I said, the longer answer is you really have to develop the muscle of emotional intelligence. You have to be able to separate out what's yours and what's not. 
you know, and, and, and I heard on LinkedIn, actually, somebody say, never, never take criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice from. And I was listening to a lot of these people that, that I didn't really ever want to take advice from, but I was so listening to their criticism. So, you know, separating that out and really being able to understand what's yours, what's not yours, what you're taking on, what doesn't belong to you. And, you know, it, that, that, was, that was not an overnight decision. There's been a lot of footwork that's been done leading up to this place. And I, I, finally, I finally just started listening to my rigorous honesty, which was, if you continue doing this, you will, you will be unhappy someplace else. You cannot just repeat the same thing over and think, oh, this time it's going to be different, or, you know, I'm going to outsmart it here, and I'm going to overcome it here. Um, corporate America, for me, was consistent, um, yeah, different different shapes, different sizes, but at the end of the day, it, it just wasn't where I wanted to be. So you make the decision, you, you resign from your position, and then you start this new company called Portfolio Rocket. How did that come to be? So um, I, did, I did take about two months in what we call proof of concept phase. Uh, and I tested it. I tested, I went back to all the, all the creative directors I'd ever worked with and where I'd built their teams and said, what problem do you wish I could solve? I wanted to know where the hiccups were, where the, where the, just the frustration was in their process when they were hiring. I wanted to hear like the nitty gritty. And I, I spent a lot of time talking to these creative directors every day, probably five or six. And then I flipped it around and went to the candidate side and talked to all of the past candidates that I had worked with and understood, so what's broken on the hiring process? You tell me, what do you wish was different? You know, what are you going to do differently the next time that you're on the market? And, you know, let's just say that you're not going to use a recruiter. How are you going to approach your search? So I wanted to hear it from both from both standpoints. And, you know, fortunately, people people that I've worked with were very, very generous. And I, you know, I say that because we had built up a lot of years of working together and, and, and had a level of trust and equity. And they were completely uh, raw and transparent with me, uh, sharing both their frustrations from the candidate and the hiring perspective. So I, I, I thought that that before I did anything and put any capital against it, I really wanted to ensure that I was uncovering the, the, some of the biggest and most pressing problems. And I, I could see that being a huge advantage. You very rarely hear any new business owner talk about taking one month, let alone two months, doing their investigative work. So that's a great tip. And I'm glad you talked about that. Yeah. So I didn't pull this out of my elbow and say, oh, yeah, time to do this. Because truthfully, I might have an idea, but if it's not going to resonate with, with any, any of the audience, then that's not, an, that's not a business idea. That's just an idea. So, you know, I wanted to ensure that there was some relevancy and, and of course, need. And so once I, once I started figuring out a lot of the pressing issues, it became much easier to solve. And what I was hearing from, from hiring managers is that most creatives and marketers, no matter how, they, how smart they are, no matter where they've worked, no matter how good their resume, no matter how good their portfolio is, is that the, the issue here is they don't know how to interview 
and they also don't know how to demonstrate a level of business value. Having aesthetically beautiful work is only one very small piece of the puzzle. And they also don't know how to articulate the problems that they've solved in business. After all, they're there to transform and change somebody's business, not just, not just be a, 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 an execution, which there's a place for that too, but not at a senior level where you're running teams and you know, have fiduciary responsibilities to the bottom line. Can you give us an example or two, Lauren, of, of what that might look like for a candidate or what you might talk to them about so they could frame it in their own words for their position? Sure. Absolutely. So if you're a, a, a creative director, a group creative director, or, you know, I, I spoke with somebody the other day who was at Netflix, right? And he, he talked a lot about the culture there and how cutthroat it is. And one of the things that he was able to do, even in our brief call, was share with me, you know, the amount of the number of launches that he had overseen. So using a metric, you know, we launched in my tenure there, I had produced, you know, six to eight shows, six to eight bundles every, every year, which accumulates over the course of his first four years, you know, 35 plus different series, different episodes that capitalized on this, that made X amount in revenue and um, ran a team of, 25 and we were able to you know build out a new revenue stream by introducing this kind of show platform so really hard hitting factual tangible examples not like we surprised and delighted our clients right like yeah. or or even something as as meek as you know i was responsible for of course you were responsible for that that comes what did you do up. Yeah, what did you actually No, and I like that because the, the recipient could listen to that and then think about how that could look like within, you know, their environment. Oh, if this person did that there, then I'm sure they could help us do what we need to do here. Totally. Sometimes I use this example, which I think is a really, really powerful one. You know, if you're going to buy a new house, you know, they stage the house, right? They remove all those personal items. They take away the picture of your grandma and, you know, take your diploma off the wall. And the reason why they do that is because nobody wants to come into a potentially new house, right? And see the reminders of somebody else being there. They want them to envision themselves in that place. And you want your hiring manager, decision maker, even interviewer, you know, informational interviewer to say, God, this person would be a great fit over there. So they can apply your story to their situation. Love that. So uh, I know one of the things you talk about is the need to have a strategy to find your next career move, your ideal career move. Could you talk about that? And, you know, what would something like that look like? Mm-hmm. So let's just, let's just face it, um, most people, well over 90%, I would, I, I would venture to say, I haven't polled the, the population, but when they come to the place where they're looking for their next career opportunity, and please notice, I'm not saying job, uh, J-O-B, and that's primarily because most people can find a J-O-B, and I really want them to be able to find a career fit, a career next step that is going to take them to a bigger, better place than they've never been before and provide them with a stretch. So in that next role, most of them 
you know, default to doing what they've always known. And to some degree, it's not their fault because what else are they going to do? They're going to brush up on their resume. They're going to, you know, go to the job boards and they're going to start hopefully, hopefully utilizing their network. But by and large, it ends up being a very scattershot approach. So it's here, there, everywhere. Um, if you're unemployed or you've been laid off for any specific reason, it's hard to structure your day. Oh my goodness, it's so hard. And you know, I say discipline equals freedom. The more discipline you have, the freer you are to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor, right? But without a structure and without the discipline around how to structure your day, your week, and even your month, um, it becomes very hard and, and the days not only spill into each other, COVID or no COVID, um, and it is hard to really measure how you're progressing in your search. And that builds a lot of frustration. So if you don't have a strategy, uh, you know, that's, that's not going to help your, help your case. Um, and having a strategy, especially ones that are consistent and repeatable, the way that, I, I mean, I'm just going to say, like, that, that that's what my program is. It's a consistent and repeatable program and strategy that works regardless of your level, regardless of your title. And so it enables you to go through each and every week feeling a sense of purpose, even if you don't necessarily feel feel purposeful in the next role yet. You feel a sense of pride, a sense of dignity, and building confidence. So is that your secret sauce, so to speak, to getting that together for someone on a on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Yes. I mean definitely, definitely there are a lot of there are a lot of pieces to the recipe in the sauce, but for sure having having the strategy that that I developed over 30 years, yes, that is definitely um, a, a secret sauce. I've kind of combined all the things that I learned in my proof of concept plus, plus all of my experience to overcome some of the challenges and also make the, make the process um, one in which you can use it for the next job search and the next job search because chances are this will not be your last. So one of the things I'm thinking about, Lauren, I just interviewed someone a few weeks ago who was also a, a recruiter of types and I know there's different ways to do things, but is the individual hiring you? Like, are you coaching yes. them? Thank you so much for, for, yes. cause I know there's, yeah. Oh, this is, yeah, this is actually something that um, I am really specific about. I'm not a recruiter. I do not have a job. I do not have corporate clients that I'm like, they call me and say, Hey, I need such and such and such. And I fill that role. What I do is I empower the candidate. I put this responsibility and this choice of what it is that's going next in their lap, right? And it's kind of like if you go to a trainer and you say, I want you to make me fit, they aren't going to make you fit. You're going to make you fit with their, with their help. You cannot have somebody else do your workouts. You cannot have somebody else run your laps or, or monitor your, your food intake. That's on you. And I, I really want to change that paradigm because most people who end up turning that, that responsibility and that, that opportunity over to somebody else to decide your, your, your professional fate um, oftentimes doesn't end up very well. So you really have to have uh, some skin in the game.
Yeah, no, and that's so smart of you because that is exactly what I was thinking about in this other interview is that, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it's always been this way. And um, I just felt there was a lack of preparation and training for the individual before they get to the point of even talking to a recruiter, right? Recruiters play a great role. But if they you sure know do. And yes. if you know what you're doing going into it, there could be some, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you can't friction. You, exactly. You have to be clear on your, on your wants and needs before you sign somebody else up. And I will add that, of course, the, the game has changed and it, it, it is always going to change. The, the landscape of the hiring process is in flux at all times, depending on the economy and so many other factors. And from the time that COVID hit until now, the inventory of, of candidates, of course, has skyrocketed, right? And the perceived amount of jobs available, you know, I, I get really down on people saying, oh, but nobody's hiring, but nobody's hiring. That's not true. Um, it may appear that way to you. And yes, less jobs are being posted, no question. But that doesn't mean that nobody is hiring because that's, that's not even close to the truth. What is true, though, is that the competition is so much fiercer based, up, based off of the demand and the supply. And so there's a, there, there has to be some allowance and some, some ability to, you know, apply some level of agility to, to fluctuate according to what the marketplace is looking for. And most of my clients, to be completely candid, have never had to look for a job before. They've always been sought. Somebody's been calling them. Somebody's been chasing them. They've been heard about in this place or that place. And they are very much in a situation um, where they're like, listen, like, like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And I really don't know what to do about this. Like, I don't even know how to do this job search thing. And so, you know, fortunately, there's, there is an opportunity to not only give this to them and, and help them learn it, but also to alleviate some of that stress of, you know, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. No, and there's their skills, their new skills that they have never had to use before. So, you know, they're not, it's not anything terrible. It's just they need to get educated. And that's what you're there for. Totally. And there's lots of, there's lots and lots and lots of lots of resources, free resources on LinkedIn. There's never a shortage of, of people who are wanting to help and to, to be able to impart some kind of solution so that they can take advantage of it. I just want to say like my colleagues, especially the ones on LinkedIn, I mean, their hands are up 24 seven, you know, call me, let me know how I can help lots of free downloads, podcasts, uh, live shows, you name it. It's, it's absolutely 100% available. And I, I would love to talk about, um, as you say, redefining compensation, uh, salary versus value. But before we get into that, can you just touch on LinkedIn for the people that are listening and are not active on LinkedIn? I know you're very active. You put out a lot of great content and I'm talking about the job seeker now. What would be a tip or two that you could give them um, as far as being really LinkedIn ready? So if you are somebody who is a job seeker, the first place 
that any decision maker, anybody that you're talking to, as far as an informational interview, it is your go-to. LinkedIn is your go-to. And when they get there, you do not want them to be disappointed. You, you really want to get them to find out more about you, perhaps in the same way that you're finding out about them. And if you're doing your digging, you can, very, you can bet that they are doing theirs. And if they see that you are, let's say, a senior level person, even if you're a junior or medium, you know, mid-size or, or, or you know, mid-level career seeker, if you're not doing anything there, that's a downer. Because it is 735 million people, the largest professional social media network you can find. And so this whole, whole audience even though they're not all your exact audience, what, they're, what you're saying by being active on LinkedIn is I'm a professional. <laughs> At base level, I'm a professional. If you're writing content or your profile is active, and when I say that, it is not a poster, it is, it is not a billboard, it is not even your resume online. It should be a landing page. It should be converting. It should can be converting to comments and activity in any of the posts, instant messages, people who viewed you, and these are all measurable. So, you know, don't treat LinkedIn as some kind of um, passive tool. This is a way to activate your personal brand, of course, but also to be able to demonstrate how and who you are different from any of your competition. Very smart, Lauren, great advice. LinkedIn is so important for people today, and I'm really happy that you talked about that. So let's talk about redefining compensation. Mm -hmm. Talk about salary versus value. Can you expand? Sure. So you know, even in my even in my discovery calls, when I'm talking to a, a client and or a protect, pr prospective client, you know, I'll say, "What is your what is your what is your target? Where are you looking to go with with your compensation?" And most of them will say, oh, well, my current salary is blank. And let's just call it $100,000, right? And they're like, do you, think I could, do you think I'll be able to clear that? And what I'll say is, you know, I'm not really sure yet because I'm not looking at you as a number. Yes, yeah, surely we're not going to want you to go less than what you are. But when I start understanding what it is that you've actually done, what it is that you've changed. If you've, if you've generated $2 million in sales, well, you're being undercompensated. We want to align what it is that you've done, the impact that you've made, the changes, whether it be in terms of revenue, in terms of a change of efficiency, in terms of a change in brand awareness. We want to take all that and we want to roll it all up and we want to figure out what it is that is important to you as far as a value compensation. Are you commuting? And, and that's two hours of your time. Let's factor that in. How much is that worth to you? You know, are you somebody that um, is having to travel for work and leaving on a Sunday and losing that time out with your family? Are you somebody who, you know, really needs a gym membership? You know, I, 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 I want to have a gym membership in my, in my compensation because I need to know that I can work out so that I'm not cuckoo crazy. 
So all of those things are, are separate and different from actual cash flow, but they have a value to you and you, based off of what you've done, have a value to them. So it works in both directions. And we really want to make sure that, that what, you're, what you're asking for is equitable um, in terms of your lifestyle, not just in terms of a dollar amount. Got it. No, that's great. I, I haven't heard it phrased that way before. So thanks for framing that up. And I could see, you know, you help being able to help someone um, in, in that because that's, I think people get uh, stuck on compensation in a lot of different ways and maybe using some older ways. And, and I like some of these modern ways that you've brought in when to talk about the value and how much is your time worth? Because that Sunday, you know, half a day on Sunday or those commutes in the morning, that is valuable time and, and that needs to be factored in. Okay, so one of the other things you say is that, you know, I hate writing content. Why does this matter to job seekers? I don't hate writing content, but a lot of my clients hate writing content. Right. And, and what, they, what they usually come back with is the reason why I hate writing content is because I don't want to talk about myself. Um, to which I normally say, that's a good thing because you're not going to be talking about yourself. You're going to be talking about yourself in a personal story only as it relates to your audience. So, you know, there's so much that is uh, discussed on LinkedIn and other podcasts about what makes good, valuable content. What makes content something that people will want to crave and read and come back and engage with. And tr trust me, this is a this is a long process. I, I measure my content every day. I know that the types of content that bomb and the ones that seem to do better. Um, so I'm definitely always in the state of, of examining what's working and what's not. But for a job seeker, why it's important is because you cannot claim your expertise in your own vacuum. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when they say, uh, if a tree falls in the wood, you know, like, like it's, it's so important that you're sharing that value. What you have to say, because not only does it attract you as a, as a candidate in the absolute, but it also gives you permission to participate with other people who are your peers and colleagues and other thought leaders to get that kind of credibility and source of authority that you deserve and, and, and really want to own. So if you have an area that you're passionate, an area of expertise, something you're curious about, want to get feedback from other people, there is no shortage of ways to invite those conversations in. Um, and there is, it doesn't have to be every single day. Even if you are writing original content versus forwarding articles, because as many of us know from the LinkedIn algorithm, you're going to get a lot more mileage over writing even short LinkedIn content, you have about 1300 characters. So, you know, explore that. I, I've had so many clients go from, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this to, oh my God, I cannot believe who found me because of this comment. I've got this call from Google or I did this or I did that. And, you know, it, it ignited this conversation. Do you know that she's a hiring manager over here? And so all of this is essentially ways to drop some really valuable breadcrumbs along the path for people to find you. Well, great. That's great advice. Um, now, what about people that 
keep interviewing, but they're not finding that job. They're not landing that opportunity. What do they do? Yeah, and that and that does happen. I am I am hearing um, so many people talk about you know the one that got away, right? I I went on this job and it was endless, endless, endless interviews, and then they ghosted, and they did this, and they did that. Um, there has been so much that's being done. Actually, there was an amazing uh, podcast done by two of my colleagues, Amy Volus and, and Austin Belchick, like earlier this week, that talked about interviews to offers. And really, there is, you know, the secret sauce or the, the real nuts and bolts of, of that takeaway that I fully echo is, you know, your greatest success is in your preparation. And really, finding out every single thing that you can possibly do and investing the time up front, not going in there, never wing it. I, I can't tell you how many people are like, yeah, I interview really great. And you know, it's not going to be a problem. And then they're not getting the interview. They're not getting the, the offers. And you know, behind each stage of the interview is a different motivation for the hiring managers. You know, some of the earlier ones is more or less assessing, like, is this person somebody who is reliable? Is this person somebody who, who, who we think can do the job? As it gets into the middle, middle stage, it's more about, hmm, you know, is this person going to collaborate well with our team? Can I see him in this role, him or her in this role? And finally, towards the end, it's much more about, is this person a great balance between how they're responding from a more uh, personal level. Is it somebody like a more personal level that we can know, like, and trust? And is this person going to change our game? Is this person going to transform our business? But the one thread that will, will kind of um, live as the common denominator throughout all of it is demonstrating a level of emotional intelligence and being able to read the room and being able to ask really, really thoughtful questions that are layered in the process. So it's not like you're asking closed or closed-ended questions. You're asking open-ended questions that, again, demonstrate your understanding of what is going on at that company, pain points and all. And don't be afraid to bring out the dead bodies. You know, if, if, the, if they're there and you know it, you know, let's just say that they, you know, they, you're an agency and you lost a big, a big account. That's going to have a huge impact on, you know, why are you interviewing at the agency, even if it's not on that, uh, on that piece of business? That's going to put a lot of strain. Are they, what are they doing? Have they, do they have any new business that they're replacing that, that revenue with? So you really have to keep your eyes and ears open. And by all means, please set up those Google alerts so that you're getting real-time data and you're finding out what's what and who's who before you walk into an interview so that you're not cramming the night before going back into the archives and figuring out who and what these people are doing. Um, build, build that knowledge on an ongoing basis. I'm happy you talked about that because preparation is so important in anything, especially when you're seeking a new opportunity. Um, I had Joshua Deshay on a LinkedIn Live this week, and he, he talked about something that I've talked about and others have talked about in the past, but it was just a reminder. And I think it's, it fits in very nicely with this. Whatever you do in anything you do, especially seeking a new opportunity, ask yourself, how can I do it better? How can I show up today better than yesterday? How can I prepare for this phone call better than I did my last phone call? So everything we do, 
think about that. How can I do it better? And that really resonated with me this week. And I wanted to pass that along just to get your thoughts, because I think that's goes hand in hand to what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's really a difference between saying, you know, here's a job description, right? Here's a job description. And this is what I'm going to do. Check, 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 check. Versus here, here is uh, an opportunity that I have to really make this company, you know, like I'm going to help this person to transform this department to have an impact on the overall company. You know, this is what I can bring as far, and, and this is what I've done in the past, and that's why I get to be able to do this now. But to to really make sure that you are delivering on on a larger vision outside of the job description to really be able to understand what is the mission of this company? What is their vision? What is happening in 2021? How can I be able to not just answer it, but exceed expectations above and beyond what, what is going to be asked of me? Nobody's going to get a raise and nobody's going to be um, rewarded for doing your job. That's, that's, uh, that's bare minimum cost of entry. And, you know, people in the talent world talk about high performers, you know, people who are, who are the people that are going to go above and beyond. And that, that should be you every single time. So take the extra time to write a good, solid thank you note. Don't leave any stone unturned. You know, if you know that this person is, that you're talking to or interested in, you know, is, is somebody who is going to be taking time off on the holiday, do not bombard them with emails. You know, send them, send, send them something and say, you know, I'll, I'll, I can't wait to talk to you in January. You know, just, just be mindful of the clues and the hints that are, that are oftentimes very much on the surface. I, um, I'll tell you, you know, reading the fine type on, on instructions. I just spoke with somebody last week and she said that the reason why she got this interview was because in mouse type at the bottom of this application, it gave very clear instructions of what to do and what not to do. And they did that on purpose to see if that candidate was paying attention. And she was, and even though her qualifications were not necessarily exact, they interviewed her because she paid attention and read those instructions where other people are just like, well, I guess I'll apply here. And, you know, don't do that. That's, that's only hurting yourself. hundred percent. So Lauren, what about if someone's listening to this and they're in a career, they're in a company that they, that they like, they like working there, but they're not in the position that they feel is either suited for them or they're, they're seeking a position at a higher level. Do you work with anyone like that? And if so, what, what type of um, preparation do you do in those instances? So if you are looking to pivot within your existing organization, you know, you, the, the part of the question is, you know, who are, who are your rabbis, right? Who are the people that are based off of the relationships that you've built who are going to really support that particular change and why. So you want to definitely, you know, assess your relationships is, is very important. The second is what have you demonstrated again, that would, that would say that you're a good fit for that, for that next either role. You should be always collecting a brag file. 
You should always be keeping track of your accomplishments, um, whether they are with you know, your, your hiring manager or whether they're from other partners within any of the collaborative areas that you're touching on. You should be accumulating those regularly. Um, so that when you go back, whether it's your review or whether it's a pivot in the company, you have an archive of, of who says that you would be a great fit for this role or who says that you've taken on more in order to be promoted. So you want to be basing this off of facts, not, I feel that I should be promoted because I've been here three years. That's not a reason why. Um, your tenure isn't, isn't validation of, of your time to be promoted or necessarily to move to another area. So really make it based off of facts, use as many metrics and, and demonstrate the whys um, behind it and get the, the support and buy-in from the people that you've been working with. And hopefully those relationships will speak on your behalf. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, if it doesn't work out, I have somebody, somebody right now that I've been talking to and he's like, you know, I've been passed up for time and time and time again for these VP titles. You know, you're going to have to also determine whether you're going to cut bait because you're, you can't expect other people to change. If, if you've tried this and your efforts uh, have fallen on deaf ears, you know, then that may be time to move, but exhaust, exhaust the, the immediate, you know, opportunities and, and relationships that you have. Excellent. Great. Thank you for that. So talk about some of your programs that you have, Lauren. You, I know that you have a group program. Give us a little insight in how do people get involved with things like this that you, that you have going on? Because it sounds really exciting and that you're building a lot of momentum. Thank you, Roger. Um, so there are two specific ways that I work with my clients. Um, there is what I call the private shuttle, which is you know the one-on-one -on -one program that's over 12 weeks. And there's also Group Rocket. And the Group Rocket program is, again, I was talking to Roger about this, uh, talked to you about this before we actually started today. And I didn't anticipate how powerful the group program was going to be. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I, am, I just completed my, I think it was my third or my fourth, I can't even remember, um, session. And, and with each time, not only are they, they, they evolving and improving and all that, but the truth is, is that the collection of people has also been changing and elevating and expanding. So what happens in the group program is it meets twice a week, um, Mondays and Thursdays for two hours at a stretch. Uh, I know that sounds like a lot, but you'd be surprised at how fast it goes and how much more they want. Um, so usually on Mondays is part of the curriculum and, and the lesson plus a discussion. And then on Thursdays, we bring in group speakers and they are speaking on, on topics uh, that are, you know, on the surface may sound like, you know, they're, they're very common, like resume writing. But, you know, we had an amazing speaker last week that really brought, to, brought it to life in a completely different way, showing the heat maps of how hiring managers really understand where the eyes are going and how to, how to work with that when you're working on your resume. Um, also, like, how do you incorporate emotional intelligence? Because no one's going to get to an interview and say, hey, I have so much emotional intelligence. So how do you demonstrate that as a candidate? But the real takeaway, and I can speak about this both being a group, group student in the master class and leading groups is that when you are in a group, 
especially I think as a job seeker, because that can be a very lonely, lonely, tough place to be. Um, the support of others is, is powerful. Um, people know where you are and truthfully they're in the same place. And so there's a lot of ability to help them lift each other up. But I think the most important thing is that people are held even more accountable. So what the deliverables. Happens. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask what happens when someone finds their next opportunity? Do they leave the group? Oh my God. Oh my God. It's like, like that virtual love is so crazy. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, people, I had a woman that hadn't been working for like two years. She was working at WeWorks and it imploded and she hadn't worked in about two years, ended up having a baby, had some, you know, issues with postpartum. It had been such a long time and she, she found this job that she was so excited about and every interview she took it offline and practiced you know, her, her value prop and all these different things and presentations with other members of the group. And when she got that job, it was her job, but it was a collective win. Like people were like, like the outpouring of love for her and how happy they were because that only is, it only gives them hope. It takes nothing away from them and only adds to the, to the probability that that will happen for them. Great point. And so it's really, it was really like, it's so heartwarming to see them all cheering each other on and, and, and being available well outside of the course structure. Well, look, it's such noble work that you're doing. And I can, you know, I've never heard of anything like this. So I give you, um, you know, a lot of credit for starting this. And hopefully this is the start of a huge movement uh, for you and hopefully others. I mean, the the universe is big enough where other people can do this too, to, because at the end of the day, it's helping, helping people, which is uh, just phenomenal. So congratulations. Lauren, um, what's next? Uh, you have uh, uh, these programs going on, but how do people contact you, find you? What do you have uh, ready for 2021? Oh God, this is like, this is like gnawing at me because I, I, I do have a, a question on my whiteboard about what my big and little audacious hairy goals are for 2021. Um, and you and I talked about starting a podcast. So now that's in the hopper. Um, I'm in the middle of rebranding and redoing my website with uh, new downloads and videos. So that will be available uh, in first quarter. But really, I think it's um, the, the most important thing to me. And, and I do this on a regular basis. So for anyone that's listening, uh, shout out to this. Every week I have uh, 10 virtual coffees. And so part of the reason why I do that is not necessarily to bring in new clients. It's really to be able to understand what's happening in my industry. Um, and so I'm speaking to you know, all the creative leaders at top tier companies and agencies Throughout the, throughout the company, folks at Apple and Google and, and Netflix and 72 and Sunny and McKinsey and Bain and all these companies. And why am I doing that? Um, because I need to keep myself in the know. I need to know what's, what their challenges are, what they're working on, get a pulse for what's happening. And also, you know, ultimately to be able to make those connections um, if possible with my clients. So, you know, I am I'm building out a network of, of people that I know 
Um, whether we do business is really less of an issue than just having the relationships. And so build relationships, um, and I will continue to do that both on LinkedIn, online and offline, um, networking or personal capital, professional capital, that is where it's at. Um, they say that uh, your, your networking is the new recruiting, and I fully believe that. So don't, don't slack on that. Whether you feel icky about it or not, that will go away. Just take some, take some smart action. As I say a lot, you know, have your feet be smarter than your head and just, just do it. Just do it. And so a lot of continuation off of what I've done, and I'm sure some other new developments will, will <laughs> soon soon start percolating to the point of bubbling i have no doubt and uh look i'm i'm so happy to be connected with you and i'm so happy you took david's program his brand intervention masterclass. and i know it's just you know that we we have that relationship where i know either i'm going to be sending clients to you um, or calling you for advice because you are a really smart and special person and Thank you so much for coming on today. But before I let you go, a couple of last uh, questions. First one, if you were to take out your cell phone right now and call the 20 year old Lauren, what would you tell her? Uh, I'd tell her, um, you know, hey, Lauren, just, just don't be so hard on yourself. Just, you know, that's just more self. <laughs> go out and help somebody else and um, stop being so afraid, you know, stop being so afraid, just take the action and just, just do it. Great. <laughs> and uh, the last question, Lauren, I ask every guest, or at least I try to ask every guest is at the end of the day, you still have a lot of life to live and work to do, but at the end of the day, what do you want your legacy to be? What kind of mark do you want to leave on this earth? Um, that I was of service. I mean, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. I really, I'm, I'm not looking for people to like me. I, I, I'm really not. I just want to be useful. And so, you know, however that, however that can be personally or professionally, that, that is my, that is my goal. That's, that's really what I live for. And so, you know, I want all my organs to be donated. I, I want there to be nothing left is really, is really my truth. I just want to be able to serve and be useful. Well, you are a superstar. Lauren Greif, like life. Welcome to the American Real Family. Thank you so much for giving us all this wisdom and sharing all your knowledge with us today. And um, I cannot wait to air this episode. Thank you, Roger. Thank you so much. Much appreciated.